So, a few weeks ago, I asked all of us to participate in our missions, giving and pledge and make an offering to the Lord that would please him and meet the need of our missionaries. And our goal was 210000 As of today, here's how much has come in in either gifts or pledges. 240268 you're wondering, what are we going to do with that extra money? Trust me, there's lots of stuff to do with missions. So, And then I just wanted to say a word of thanks for all of the sympathy that has poured into me and my family on the, the passing of my mom. You guys are amazing. It is, it is such a privilege to be a pastor at this church. Thank you for that. All right, let's, uh, could we stand together in honor of God's word? We are reading from Acts chapter 1. In my former book, this is Luke speaking. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for your word. We humble ourselves today as we contemplate it together. Speak. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here to confirm the word of God with signs and wonders, with the sign and wonder of your presence here, doing things that only you could do. Please, God, have your way, and we will give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. So we have been going through the story. 31 weeks through the whole Bible. Last week was on the resurrection. Today's message is called The New Beginning. The New Beginning. 
Each week we've told the lower story of what actually happened in history. Then we look at the upper story of what was God doing behind the scenes? What was the big picture in God's huge story of redemption? What, what was going on in God's upper story? And then we, we finish with how do we live in light of that upper story? So the lower story, um, Jesus is giving the last words. It's now 40 days after his resurrection, and he's giving final instructions about, uh, about them going back to Jerusalem. He's on the Mount of Olives. It's about a day's walk back to Jerusalem. He's on the Mount of Olives, and he's, he's saying, you need to wait. You need to go, go back to Jerusalem and wait for what the Father has promised. And the disciples say, you know, is this, is this the time that Israel is going to be the head of the nations and we're going to kind of take things over? And he says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. You're going to receive power to be my witnesses. And so um, Jesus is taken from their midst and they see him ascend. They see him go and, and go behind the clouds and they're, they're staring up into the sky and two angels appear and say, men of Galilee, why are you looking up in the sky? Does this really require angels to appear to ask that question? I just think it's the nature of human beings to be speculators. Jesus tells them what they're supposed to do and, and they want to know if this is going to be, they wanna, they're interested in the end time scenario and what's, what's going on and, and Jesus says, you know what, you're not, you're not going to know that now. Um, you go, go back and receive power and be my witnesses. And, and then when he goes up, the speculation starts again. What's going on? And, and the angels appear and just say, listen, don't speculate. The same Jesus that went up, he's going to come again, but he gave you something to do. Now go do that. And they go back. Immediately to Jerusalem. And they wait. They, they have rented an upper room of a house and they start meeting there. And, and the Bible says they're just meeting, they're continually devoting themselves to prayer. So they've got, they've got 10 days, they are living in this upper room in Jerusalem. They don't, they don't go back to Galilee. If they go back to Galilee, you know what happens. You're, you're, you're planning on praying. You're planning on doing something spiritual, but you get amongst your old stuff, your old job, your old distractions, and pretty soon you're, you're distracted. So they're in, a, they're in a foreign city. They didn't go back to Galilee. They've got, they don't know people. They're, they are, they got nothing to do except pray. And they don't know how long. During these 10 days, they, they replace Judas with Matthias. And that's really the only business item we have that we're told about. Other than they're, they're just meeting, continually meeting in this upper room. 
uh, praying together. And the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost, you counted from first fruits, you counted 49 days from first fruits, and the 50th day was the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, 10 days they've been waiting, and we have it in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Pentecost was one of the three feasts. So they came from every nation of the earth three times a year. They had been there for Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now they come again. The the numbers of Jews that came um, from historical markers, anywhere from 600,000 to over a million, depending on which historian is right. They came from all the nations of the earth for these feasts. So they are, they are all gathered together as the Holy Spirit comes. They're speaking in tongues. And it says, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? So they're in this house. The wind blows. It sounds like a mighty rushing wind. It's not just heard by them. It's heard apparently outside. And then, of course, the, the, the Spirit comes, and they're all speaking in other tongues, and, and the crowd starts to gather. They obviously come outside the house at some point because there's a, there's a large group meeting. We don't know how long the tongues are going on and how long the wind is blowing, but God uses these supernatural signs to gather a crowd Peter starts preaching. He preaches the very simple gospel that Jesus was crucified, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that Jesus received from the promise from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. And what they are witnessing in their very presence is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that had been promised way back in Joel. Uh, In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. Men, women, sons, daughters, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And, And they're going to prophesy. This was the evidence of the new beginning, the new covenant that God was establishing. He gets done preaching. 
And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit had so pierced everyone's hearts, they were, they were absolutely undone and they just said these words, what shall we do? Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So the initial in-gathering is 3,000 people get saved the first day. First sermon, 3,000. And then we get the longer picture. They begin immediately meeting together. Meeting not just in the temple for larger meetings, but meeting house to house for smaller meetings. And what's happening in their midst is this electricity of awe because of signs and wonders that are happening. There are God things happening. And it is producing um, this sincerity and this gladness of heart and this continual sense of awe. And it's spreading. The Lord is adding daily those who are being saved. Eventually, we know that those who had come from Rome and from Asia and from all over the place went back and started their own communities. By 49 AD, long before Paul ever got there, Suetonius, uh, a Roman writer, said that Rome had, had a huge community of Christians. By 49 AD, it's from this, these are the first missionaries. They just went back and lived among the people and and the gospel spread. In Acts, we have the word being fulfilled. In Acts chapter 8, persecution came to the church in Jerusalem. And finally, they started moving out. And Philip went to Samaria. Samaria was tough. They were, they were hated. They were the arch enemies of the Jews. Philip goes to Samaria, and what do you know? God's doing signs and wonders among the Samaritans, and the gospel reaches Samaria. And then two chapters later in chapter 10, Peter has a, a, a vision of these unclean animals the Jews would never eat, and it comes down three times, and God says, what I have cleansed, stop calling unclean. Peter, there's a change. There's a new beginning. That which used to be regarded as unclean has become clean. And he has this three times. Three times this vision comes. And when it rises up the third time, there's a knock at the door. And it is uh, representatives from Cornelius, who is a Gentile. And he says, he had a vision of an angel. And, and you need to come to our house. And, and Peter recognized 
recognizes that the time has come where this thing is not Jewish, just Jewish anymore. That it is going to the utter ends of the earth. So that's the lower story. What's the upper story? In God's sovereign plan, what's going on in redemption? Well, we know that Jesus died on Passover. He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He he shed his blood so that all who apply his blood will be passed over on the final judgment. He was raised from the dead during the feast of unleavened bread. They had to use unleavened bread. Leaven was a type of sin. Unleavened bread was a type of of purity. And he is during during the feast of unleavened bread on on, on first fruits. He's the first one raised from the dead. He is resurrected from the dead as the unleavened. He is the bread of life for the whole world. The sinless lamb of God died in our place, was raised from the dead on first fruits. Now you mark off 50 days. Pentecost was when they celebrated the early harvest. The wheat harvest, and here's how they did it. They, they, made, they made bread with yeast. They made two loaves of leavened bread, and they offered these two loaves to the Lord in worship. So what's happening on Pentecost is God's pouring out his Holy Spirit on sinners. He raises the sinless son of God on first fruits during unleavened bread and now he pours out his spirit on people that have been leavened by sin. Luke 11:13 If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father pour out give the holy spirit to those who ask him? That our sin is no longer in the way. Jesus died and rose from the dead so God could pour out his spirit, which in the Old Testament, frankly, would have killed them. But through Christ, he can pour out his spirit on leavened bread. Peter stands up and 3,000 are saved. This is the early harvest. It's really important, especially for Pentecostals, charismatics, that we recognize that the fulfillment of Pentecost is not us having spiritual experiences, us having goosebumps, us having cool things happen. That's not the fulfillment. The fulfillment is when we take that and witness and harvest comes in. It's not fulfilled until the 3,000 get saved. It's the early harvest. What's going on in the upper story? Well, in the big picture, Genesis chapter 1 through 11 is God dealing with the whole world. At the end of Acts 11, we have this, Acts 11, is, or I'm sorry, Genesis 11 is about the Tower of Babel. 
that after all of God's dealing with mankind, after Noah and all of his goodness and dealings and judgments, here's where mankind was in Genesis 11. They said to each other, let's build ourselves a temple up to heaven to make a name for ourselves. And they were all agreed on this. The whole earth has come together in agreement. We're going to build up this temple into heaven for our own name. And God sends tongues. He sends judgment and these tongues come and all of a sudden no one can understand each other. This is actually the origin of why there are so many different languages on the earth. And they can't, they can't communicate with each other anymore and the plan is abandoned. Right after that, it says that Sarah, Abraham's wife, Sarai, is her original name, was barren. Sarai is a prophetic picture of the whole human race. The whole human race was barren. Trying to do it themselves, building their own name, living for themselves, and it resulted in spiritual barrenness. And then Genesis 12, God speaks. He speaks to one man, Abraham. And he says, Abraham, if you will leave your people and you will obey and you'll go out, I will, I will give you a land. I will give, make you a nation. I will make your name great. And then in your seed, your offspring, every, all the people on the face of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham obeys God. And now we've got the rest of the whole Old Testament. From Genesis 12 to Malachi 4, the whole Old Testament is about one man's family that became a nation, the nation of Israel. It's about God's revelation to one people that is carrying the seed of Messiah. But even during all of that time, God's heart was always for not just Israel, but for all the people. He was preparing Messiah. So Jesus comes and he dies. He rises from the dead. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And the Lord says, now, now, now is the fulfillment. Jesus was the seed that was given so that all the people on the earth can be blessed. Not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, not just Samaria, but to the utter ends of the earth. There is the promise of a new beginning. Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So in this stunning way, God repeats tongues. The, they were trying to make a name for themselves. God sent tongues in judgment. Now they're gathered in his name. They're gathered to, to, to lift up his name. They are, they're empty of themselves. 
They, they all betrayed Jesus. They were all, they're, all, they're done with their own thing. They're waiting. They're waiting on God in one place. They are unified together, and the Holy Spirit comes and gives tongues again. Except this time, everybody can understand the tongues. They're speaking in all of the languages of the world. They're speaking in Latin and in all of the different Greek and all the different places where they're gathered. These people all know two languages. They know Aramaic, which is what everybody knew, and they know the language they came from. The the apostles and the 120 are speaking languages that they could not have learned. They're Galileans. They're uneducated Galileans. How do they know our languages? And everybody is hearing their language. A a supernatural tongue that God gave, not to divide, but to unify. Amazing. Why? Because he wants to give a new beginning. It's all about the new beginning. In the old covenant, God wrote on stones. And the law became like almost like an oppression on people. It was this high law that they, they constantly came short of and were always under God's judgment. And God says, in the new covenant, what I'm going to do, in the last days, what I'm going to do, I'm going to write, not on stones, I'm going to write by my spirit on human hearts. I am going to change lives from the inside out. And I am going to provide forgiveness so that I do not remember their sins anymore. Jesus doesn't just cover sin. His blood takes away sin. This is unbelievable. You say, well, how does God forget? I can't forget. Well, God's different than you. Are we going to have trouble with this guy? Okay. Tightening it now. Is that better? Is that any better? If it does it one more time, I'll, I'll go to something else. I promise. I love technology. People think, you know, God was really excited when I first got saved. He was really excited. He ran to me. He put his arms around me. I could feel his love. He invited me into the party just like the prodigal son. And, um, but now he's kind of sick of me. I, I keep sinning. I keep failing. I keep coming back and asking forgiveness and asking forgiveness. And he, he, he must be, I think I'm wearing him out. Do you know that with God, it's always the first time? He forgot that. It's not the hundredth time for God. It's always the first time. He's just as excited about you as he was the first time. Thank you, Jesus. 
a new beginning. Acts 3, 25 and 26, Peter's preaching to the Jews. And he says, you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. He says, this is the fulfillment of Abraham. He is going to bless through your offspring, singular Jesus. He is going to bless all people and Jews. You Jews, you, you get to hear first. God said, start with you guys. But it's not just you guys. It's the whole earth. And what God is doing is he is sending his blessing. What does that look like? He's going to bless us by turning each of us from our wicked ways. We've got a different idea sometimes in America of what the gospel even is or what it produces. The gospel doesn't produce a new belief. It produces a new life. It is repentance. It is a change of life. I'm cut to the heart because I've been doing my own thing, going my own way. And now, uh, how can I be saved? And it says that they, Peter stood up and said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And the promise of the Holy Spirit will be yours as well. You're going to get a new beginning and you're going to get a new heart. This is the gospel. This is the promise of the gospel. So finally, living in light of the upper story. First, our need for the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't say, just go out and do do whatever. He said, go wait until you receive power. There's a tremendous need in the church, especially in America, to welcome the Holy Spirit. To be a place where we are honoring and asking and contending for more of what only the Holy Spirit can do. In August of 2010, City Church did not yet exist. It was Man City and Lake City, and we were coming up to a time where where we were going to vote on it. The elders of each church were coming together and voting. Brian White, who was the prophetic voice that had, had initiated a process, we had him come in. We were meeting down in the fellowship hall in this building. We had all the elders there, and Brian, before the vote, that Sunday, I had preached at Lake City, and John Ruck had preached at Mad City. But we were gathered together to get any last words from Brian before the vote. And here's what he said. He said, there's three types of churches that are growing in America today. And he was not intending to criticize. God uses everything as much as he can. He was just saying in his own observation, there's three types of churches that are growing in America One is a a type called the seeker-sensitive church. This is the church that identifies needs, felt needs, and seeks to meet those needs, do sermons around those needs, make the whole thing around what people need, and to draw them to church. And he said this this type of church is, is growing in America. 
The only problem is it doesn't produce disciples. It produces consumers. And then he said there's a second type of church growing in America. And in this one, you take a man or a woman of God that God has clearly anointed, and you build your whole church around that anointed person. And you, everything is about that guy or that woman and their, their power, their ability, their anointing, their charisma. And he said, this church grows too. He says, um, very, very much like uh, why American Idol draws such a huge thing. He says, that, but you don't, you don't produce disciples, you produce spectators. And he said, there's a third model. And he said, it's very rare. This is a church that's devoted. Certainly wants to welcome people. Certainly wants to honor gifts that God has placed in people. But the passion of this third church is to make a place where God himself is welcome. Where he can come just as he is. He can do whatever he wants in your midst. And he looks at us with fire in his eyes. He said, if you guys don't want to be this third type, there is no reason. There's no reason for City Church. God is looking for a place to pour out his spirit. And if that's not what you're answering to, then please do not waste the time and energy of putting two churches together. This is part of our heritage. Welcoming the Holy Spirit. Guys, without the Holy Spirit, there's no awe. There was, in the early church, there was a continual sense of awe. Why? Because there were things happening that only God could do. There was a gladness and sincerity of heart. Now, there can be sincerity because this is our duty and we were told to do this and you could be very sincere, but you can't be sincere and glad of heart unless something is happening that's more than just what man is doing. If it's just man, man's teaching, man's program, man's doctrine, man's rules, what you're going to create is cynicism. Has anybody noticed what's going on in America right now? We're losing the next generation. The next generation isn't going to just do their duty. We, we've lost in this country the fear of the Lord. We've lost a sense of wonder. We've lost a sense of awe of God and who he is. But Romans 5 says where sin is abounded, grace is going to abound all the more. God's not done with America, folks. God is not done with America. Well, it turns out welcoming the fire, welcoming the fire of the Holy Spirit, the fire that only he can bring, is actually the simple thing. The difficult thing is keeping it going. The miracle of Acts is that it didn't just, it wasn't just a flash in the pan. It continued and Luke writes and tells us what the key is to keep the fire going. You can't create the fire. You just have to wait on God for it. But once it comes, there are three things that they continually devoted themselves to that kept the fire going. 
The first one, it says that they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching. Listen to this. This is uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 19. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied. Listen to Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. What I want you to see here is that what is being confirmed is not the apostles. It's their message. God confirms the message of salvation, the message of his word, when we are devoting ourselves to, not to the apostles, but to their teaching. There was a message given, which is why they are witnesses. They, they were the carriers. They were entrusted with this message. And you and I and our church, we need to be devoted to the, to the apostles' teaching. We need to be devoted to the word of God. We need to be very, very careful that we don't twist and turn the word of God and make it something other than what it is. As we preach the real gospel, as we represent the real God, as we are unashamedly proclaiming who he is and what his promises are, and what his warnings are, we will have the genuine sense of the presence of God, where God will pierce hearts. And it won't be human manipulation. It will be God God moving, God speaking prophetically. When, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, he's going to speak things, and there's going to be things that are greater than what man is doing. There's going to be healings. There's going to be miracles among us that, that can't be contrived by man. We don't, somebody said it this week, we don't believe in faith healing. We believe in divine healing. This isn't about faith producing something. This is about God in our midst doing things that only he can do. But we have to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. This is a very hard word for America. I've got some dear, dear cousins in California. I really just got to know them very recently my mom's brother's children. And six months ago, we knew mom was going downhill. And so these two adult women came, uh, my cousins, and they, they got a hotel. They just wanted to spend time with my mom. And, and I was over at mom's apartment and mom just started, they would just get her talking and then they would press record on their, their phones just to hear the stories being told again of when mom and their dad were, were, their dad is passed. And so this is, they just wanted to get that memory. And, um, but they, they love me for whatever reason. They love me. I've been able to talk with them in the past, little, little things. And so they determined to come here that Sunday morning. So they went to mass with mom and they came right from mass over here for our 830 service. And it was the Sunday that we had the police uh, team. And so they got to hear story after story of God, God's moving. And were, uh, I met them in my office afterwards, and they were so deeply moved by the testimonies of the younger generation. They're like, this is what our kids need. And, and I asked if I could pray for them, and they said, absolutely. And I just prayed a very brief prayer, and there were, there were tears in their eyes. And it was, just a, it was just a God moment. So 
mom's funeral was last Saturday, and we had a party afterwards at my brother Mike's house. So there's 70 people in this house, and one of them is one of these sisters, and she wants to talk to me about God. Um, she, she wants to talk about God, and, and so we're, we're talking, and, and she starts saying, she, she owns a real, or she runs this massive real estate company in California. She's got a huge job. I mean, she's, she's a shaker and a mover. And she starts expounding on her own theology, and she says, you know, I don't really... I don't know that I really even believe in hell. I, th- I think hell is what we experience down here. And I said, Molly, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead in history for real? And she said, oh yeah, I believe that. I said, Molly, Jesus... Jesus was God. His resurrection proved it. And that means he gets to tell us what our worldview is. We don't tell him what our, we don't tell him what we think. We find out what he thinks. And I said, Molly, Jesus spoke about hell more than he spoke about heaven. She says, really? I said, yeah, that's absolutely true. And I said, the reason why he spoke about it is because he didn't want anybody to go there. He died so that everybody could be saved. Nobody has to go to hell. But he was warning us because he doesn't want anyone to go there. Hell is real. There is a lot of hell on this earth. I'm with you. But there is a real hell. And he was warning us that it's real and to not end up there. And here's what she said. That's exactly what a mother would do. A mother warns. So what was going on in that conversation? We just live in a culture that's biblically illiterate. We don't even know what the, what the apostles actually taught. And so we've all got this hodgepodge of what we believe and what we think. Folks, in the end, it doesn't matter what you think. It matters what's true. Jesus said the mark of this age is deception. We need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. We need to be ready to let go of our own thinking and say, Jesus, tell me how it is and study the word of God. You can't cherry pick the New Testament and just take what you like. You end up with a, a a God that you can control, a God that is made in your image, a God that you like. But he's not the real God, and that, that, that God's not going to be confirming with signs and wonders. It's the definition of idolatry is when you have a God that you've made that you can control, that is safe. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, they were devoted to fellowship. There is a whole book in the New Testament committed to one topic, and that is losing your fire, that it is possible to lose your fire. The whole book of Hebrews is about a group of people that were burning once for God and are losing it, and, and, 
the, the, the writer of Hebrews says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It's not enough that you started. We need to keep the fire burning. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Then it says, they were devoted to fellowship and the breaking of bread. They were devoted to coming together. They came together in the temple and they came together house to house. There is something in this fellowship that keeps the fire going. Listen to Hebrews 3, 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Just coming together Today, just being in God's presence together, some of the hardness that this sin, this world creates just comes off of us. We become tender again. When the Holy Spirit moves, we come back to, what shall we do? I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. There's a willingness. There's a softness that says, I am willing. I, am, I want to go the right way. Listen to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This idea of stirring one another up is like stirring the coals of a fire. And he says, let's keep meeting together more as the day is approaching, not less. And he says that those that don't meet with us anymore, they just got out of the habit of meeting and they made a new habit of not meeting together. I've told you this story before about the elder who had served in the church for 40 years. He had filled in for the pastor. He had preached for the pastor and something happened in church that hurt him, offended him. And all of a sudden, he just stopped coming to church. How many know you can serve God for many, many years? You can serve in a group of people for many, many years. And something can happen that distances you, that offends you, that hurts you. So this is what happened. Elders stopped coming to church. The young pastor comes to his house, but what's he going to say? This, is, this elder is, he, there's nothing he could say that this elder hasn't heard a hundred times. So he knocks on the door and the, it's the middle of winter. He knocks on the door and the elder opens it up and he says, can I come in? And elder says, yeah, come on in. Elder goes back over and sits next to the fire, and there's a chair there for the pastor. The pastor sits down, and there's nothing to say, really. But he takes the tongs next to the fireplace, and he pulls out one ember out of the fire, and he puts it over on the side, and they just watch it. And it gets less and less and less and less, and pretty soon it's just smoke. And the pastor says, well, I need to get going. Elder walks him to the door, opens the door up and says, I'll see you at church next Sunday, pastor. I know this this story must have happened in Minnesota because in Minnesota, people don't talk much to each other. (laughs) You You just have to figure out what they're saying. Sorry, this is how God designed us. We don't just need him. We also need each other. 
He designed us to be a community. This is why we prioritize small groups. That you, 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 It's great to come to the big, large gathering, but we also need that one-on-one, stir one another, love one another, forgive one another, have compassion on one another. All those one another's mean you actually have to know somebody. You can't just look at their back. This is true fellowship that keeps the fire of God going. And then finally, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, They devoted themselves to fellowship and the breaking of bread, sharing meals together, sharing communion together is all in that. And then finally, they devoted themselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John, we, we just observe the early church in action. They're on their way to a prayer meeting. It is the time of prayer. It's three in the afternoon. They had a regular prayer meeting at three in the afternoon, and they're on their way there. And that's where one of the first dramatic miracles happens by the apostles. The the man at the gate called Beautiful, who was lame from birth, uh, is risen up, and another 4,000 get saved. But they're on their way to prayer. Acts chapter 4. They're all gathered together. Once again, it's the hour of prayer. They have been persecuted. They're, they're bringing that persecution to God, and they're saying, Lord, more. Fill us more. Let us speak the word of God even more boldly. Give us courage. And the Bible says that the, the, the building they were gathered in shook. I'd, that's a sign, I would say, that God's in our midst. I, I would say that would be a little emboldening if, the, if the, the, the building shook after we prayed. City Church has to be a house of prayer. First and foremost, we'll never, we'll never reach what we're supposed to be without being a place of prayer. That's why Tuesday night, we don't allow any other ministries to happen on Tuesday night. We don't want to make people come to prayer because Jesus said, I'm going to give them joy in my house of prayer. We want it to be joyful. We want people to be excited about Tuesday nights. But uh, we, don't, we don't want to distract you by l- allowing something else. Tuesday night is the night we pray, 6.30 to 8 downstairs. Eventually that meeting, this is a, a prophetic word, I'm just believing. The, eventually the whole meeting will be up here because we won't fit downstairs. I believe that. But it's funny, when people come to me, they've got all kinds of problems, addictions, they've got oppressions of darkness, and I will give them the truth, I will pray over them, I'll cast things out, and then here's always my solution. You need to add the Tuesday night prayer meeting to your week. You, you need more. You need more than just word. You need spirit. You, you need presence. You need, you need to get in the flow of God's presence, which is the goal of Tuesday night. And I understand everybody's schedules. Everybody can't be at church all the time. And so I'm not, this is not a guilt trip. I'm just saying prayer has to be a priority. We do those pray 130s. Those are God's raising up a furnace of prayer. A year ago, January, Sam Duram gave a prophetic word to this church. He said that what God wants to do at City Church is he wants to build a bonfire. A bonfire of his presence. And then from that, brush fires will will go out. And that's why we started doing the testimonies. Testimonies are 
are people just wanting to share, wanting to share their story, wanting to tell what happened with them. And the, the, the reason why we're doing testimonies every Sunday is not, we, we modeling it in church. What we want is testimony to go out there. That, that part of what God has done for you, it's part of you being a witness. The Holy Spirit has filled you to be a witness of what God has done for you. And the whole idea of a brush fire is it's out of man's control. It's not that we've got an evangelism program and now we're going to go here and go there, which wouldn't be a bad thing. But he said brush fire. And then that was in January. And then February, Ed Ainsworth came and he showed us that dancing video. He woke up in the morning and said, show that video. It was kind of an R-rated video. It was this guy uh, at a picnic. It was not set up. It was a, the whole camera work was very shaky. He was just dancing. He had a swimsuit on and he's dancing to this music on this mountain at a picnic. And pretty soon somebody else gets up to dance and then somebody else and then somebody else. And after five minutes, a thousand people were dancing. And he spoke over this church. He said, this is what the Lord is going to do here. He is going to take his joy. He's going to take the, the dance you've learned of God's love. And people are just going to want to dance too. They're going to want to dance. And God's just going to pour this out in waves. September 25th, and I'm ending with this. It's Monday night of our missions conference. Jody Bunn shared up front from the book of Jeremiah. It was powerful. It went long, but it was powerful. I went to the back, as I usually do, and there to greet me, who's there to greet me every single service, is Lee Austin. I didn't know it, but that next morning, Lee was going to fall off a building headfirst onto concrete. He went into a coma until October 11th, and Lee went to be with the Lord this last Wednesday. We're actually having his funeral here this next Thursday at 11 o'clock. So these are the last words that Lee spoke to me on earth. He's in the back here, right after Jody speaks, September 25th. He's got something on his phone. He said, Tom, he said, and Lee, Lee always had a smile. He always had a smile. I've never seen anybody so lit up for God so consistently. He was a burning, shining lamp. If you knew Lee, he was always smiling. He was always smiling. He's always had a word about Jesus. And the only time he wasn't, well, he was still smiling. But after, after sermons, he was always crying. He'd have a smile still, but he'd always cry because, because God had spoken to him again. But he comes to me September 25th, last night that he spoke. And he's got his phone and he says, have you heard of this guy? And I said, no, I haven't heard of him. He said, well, he just gave this prophetic word about revival in Madison. He said, this, this is what the Lord is doing. Lee was not about revival at just at City Church. Lee, Lee went to meetings all over this region to find out what the Holy Spirit was doing. He was always trying to bring me together with Father Randy and the people from this group. And he was at meetings in Beloit and meetings in Appleton. And wherever the Spirit was moving, Lee was. I don't know how he could afford all that gas, honestly. He, but he was, there was no one more devoted to City Church. He was there every Tuesday night. Every Tuesday night he was in prayer. Every service. He would go to more than one service. He called it double dipping. I'm double dipping today. He believed 
he lived for a region-wide revival that would touch the nation. This is why we exist, guys. I don't know who's going to take Lee's place at prayer meeting. I think it'll take about three people to take Lee's place, honestly. But this, these were his last words. There's a revival. There's a revival in the heart of God coming to Madison. Are you convinced, City Church, that America needs more than another program? Than another explanation? Folks, we need a genuine move of the Spirit of God. Let's, could we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment? Bottom line, the whole purpose of God's story is to create a new beginning for sinners. Everything that God did in dying and resurrecting and ascending the Holy Spirit was so that sinners could be reconciled to him. That their sins, their failures, their brokenness, their guilt, their regrets could all be washed away. And that God would remember them no more. That people, rank sinners, would be able to experience his love. And that he would be able to put his spirit in them, right on their hearts, and give them a new life in him. If that is you today... Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. If Jesus is knocking and you know it today, I've got your heads bowed and eyes closed because this is between you and God, but I like to help people pray the prayer because somebody helped me open my door. If this is you, Jesus is knocking. You want to repent. You want a new beginning with God. Would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it? Okay, I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you. Up in the balcony, I see that hand. I'd like everybody that raised their hand, if you just put that hand over your heart right now and pray something like this in your own words to God. Dear God, I come to you. I ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness for me trying to live my life my way, do my own thing with my own opinions, my own doctrine, my own everything. Jesus, I don't want want to make you up. I don't want to try to twist you into an image of my own making. Lord, I'm inviting you to come in just as you are. Holy Spirit, I'm inviting you to come and write on my heart the very law of God. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to bring that very, the fire of desire. It is God at work within you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Write on my heart with fire. I receive now by faith that new beginning, that gift of eternal life. Thank you for being so good to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Could we stand to our feet? If you have never been baptized by immersion, baptized where you're dunked under the water as a believer, and you just raised your hand for salvation, you need to 
you need to sign up. That's what, what, what are we supposed to do? Here's what you do. Repent and then be baptized. Repent and then go public. Sign up wherever the sign up is. Here's the second call. You want to keep the fire going. This is for all of us. Would you just open your arms to the Lord? Jesus, one of the most endearing verses about you is in Matthew 12. It says that you will not put out a smoking wick. You, you don't despise us when we lose our fire. You, you, you gather us close and you start breathing on those embers again. And God, where we have been hurt, you put us back into the fire of community. You teach us to forgive one another and to make allowances for each other and to have compassion on each other and to not isolate ourselves. Jesus, thank you for softening my heart today. Thank you for washing sin's deceitfulness and hardness off of me. Now, Lord, we're just, we're just folks here. We are definitely leavened bread. But, Lord, you used us together to raise that 240,000 for missions. Lord, thank you. That's amazing. And now you're saying in that same way, I want to use you as a body, as a place to pour out my spirit. I'm looking for a place I can trust that will not make it about a man, but will make it only about Jesus. And I want to do, I want to do the impossible in your midst every single week. And I want to send you out like a brush fire. I just blowing you out, the wind of my spirit just blowing you out and blowing out who you are. Wherever you are, you just be a witness. You don't have to do witness. So just be a witness. And I'll start fires other places and other hearts. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. When I think about the wildfires right now that are going on in this country, the time a warning comes is when it's really, really dry. Do you know there are a lot of lives in this region that are unbelievably dry? They've tried work. They've tried buying stuff. They've tried video games. They've tried addiction. And none of it has worked. They're just dry. And you might think, well, they would never be interested in God. Oh, just a spark. (laughs) Just a spark of something that's not man-manipulated. Something from heaven. Jesus, here we are. We are your church. We just give you permission to come. Lord, I know even the desire to pray comes from you first. Pour out desire. Pour out desire. Raise up a community that hosts the presence of God. And Lord, true to Lee's vision, Lord, would you bring us together with other churches? This isn't about this church. It's about your church in this region. Help us to not speak against other churches, but pray for them and seek ways to unite with them. Do something in our day 
for your glory, for our good. Lord, for the good of this nation, for the good of the people that are around us every single day with no idea what's going on. Let the upper story break into the lower story, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, we're going to have ministry teams up here. Uh, Have a great day. Bless you.